Welcome back, David Penn, uh, the Professor Penn Podcast. How are you doing? Uh, here we go. Uh, I'm going to give a disclaimer up front. Uh, I'm not in a good mood today uh, because the events that I see forming up around me are disturbing me and triggering me. So as I speak with you today, I, I want you to know, because we don't know each other, we don't know each other that well yet. I'm generally pretty upbeat. I'm generally pretty optimistic. Uh, very optimistic. Today, not so much. I'm watching this, um, this debt ceiling drama play out where uh, we're touting a victory where we're going to increase the debt by another $4 trillion to $35 trillion, as if that doesn't matter. Hey, 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 I wish I could borrow money like that. You know, at the end, we burned for the insurance. It's great. It's very mafia. And then um, this Ukraine thing is just it's horrifying. It's horrifying what's going on over there. And um, we're going to delve into these issues a little bit today and, and, and try to make a little progress with it. But, boy, I'm down. I'm down. And uh, it, makes it, uh, it makes it kind of a dark day. Kind of a dark day. So I'm going to do my best. Uh, because remember, um, I try to remember uh, happiness is a responsibility. So I'm going to try to make myself happy today because I don't see a lot to be joyful about. So I'm going to do it just to be a good friend to you because friends bring other people. You know, friends, bring, we bring each other up. It's no fun to hang around with people if they bring you down. And that, that's, a, that's another, uh, it's another issue with the podcast. People, the news is bad. So, you know, I'm going to try to be funny today. That, you know, that's going to be my solution. I'll, I'll give it my shot to try to be uplifting in the face. I think they call it in Mexico black humor, gallows humor. You know, in, in Mexico, 60, 70,000 people die every year down there in violence. And the Mexican people have to live with that. It's not happy. So they have a really dark sense of humor which actually is it's very funny. You know, the Russians have that same dark sense of humor also. Very dark, but hilarious. I want to thank Free People Radio for giving me a chance to uh, work on my comedy skills, such as they are. Thank you, Free People Radio. And Free People of America, a place where we're all, we will all be gathering soon to focus our efforts together. 
TireGet.com. That's T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com. 14,000 different kinds of tires in stock. Everything you need for your vehicles. And it funds the movement. It's a win-win. We have to get our Patriot economy going. It's, it's forming up. You can see it in the boycotts. You know, people are good at boycotting. Could we get good at supporting? Let's get as good at supporting small business as we are at boycotting the companies that piss us off. Now that would be a pot. That would be co- that would be comedic. We could laugh our way to the bank together. That'd be great. We have to have our own economy. My point. Precinctstrategy.com, a tutorial for everything you need to get off the bench and into the game of politics, to take your seat at the table, to be a player in the game. And it's, you know, we have to do it. I understand all the arguments about why not to do it because I made them to myself for many years. And then one day I looked up and I said, oh, this is getting out of control. Of course, I have some perspective. I, you know, as you know, I have a historical education, so I can see when the storm clouds of chaos are forming. And that's why I'm really kind of uh, I'm depressed today because you'll be getting this after the holiday, but this is Memorial Day, and everybody's living their life as if we're large and in charge, which is really comedic. That's funny. So we have to go back to the basics and rebuild, and we have to rebuild from the cornerstone. So I'm going to say that at all the meetings that we have in our political lives, we need to restore, reclaim, uh, just bring it back. We got to bring it back. Some of the fundamental pieces that have been deep sixed by the security state, and the security state expresses itself to me in all kinds of hidden ways. Oh, like my child's education, one would not necessarily see the relationship between a security state and your child's, you know, education. But actually, actually, if you want to get a good dark laugh about it, your kids are being taught by secret agents, secret agents of humanism. Oh, that should make you laugh in a very dark way. Because we are raised in an environment where we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. You know, every time I read it, I get a little bit more out of it, and please humor me, because uh, it's, it's the cornerstone. we got to have a cornerstone. When we build our, our house on rock, it needs a cornerstone. Ukraine is a big subject of uh, depression for me today because um, I note that my government, that would be me, we the people, seem intent on getting into a nuclear war. That sounds really fun, doesn't it? Nuclear war. Hey, you know, I know there's some of you out there that are looking forward to this. I could get into it too. You know, in a war, you can move up quickly. I've been in organizations that you may or may not know of, where there's like, I don't know, 50,000 guys lined up senior to you 
And I asked one time, a really top guy, I said, you know, how do you how are you going to advance in this organization? There's so many guys standing around. He said, just wait, there'll be a war. Oh, <laughs> that was really funny, wasn't it? I know I'm off to a slow start. Just be patient. It could get better. Uh, I'm going to call this part of the uh, podcast Escalation by Drone. Escalation by Drone. This is why I'm depressed. Because our, um, our drama in the Ukraine is actually playing out inside of Russia. I know we're not sold that idea. But to the Russians, the Ukraine... It's like, oh, I don't know, um, Mississippi. It'd be like if Mississippi broke off and formed its own country, and the Russians backed it, and they were supplying it, and, you know, there was a war right here in our country, and Mississippi was playing on the other side of the football. Would you be pissed off? And I don't pick Mississippi by accident, because that was the very last state in the country to ratify the Civil Rights Act of 1965. I think it took them like 40 years to get there. So, you know, it's, it, it, it's fitting, right? It's fitting. Maybe they should have a sister city there between Mississippi and Ukraine because that Darwinist sentiment, you know, prevailed there so, so adequately for so many hundreds of years. That's, that's Russia we're fighting in. The Ukraine, as someone whose family comes from the region, I will tell you, when my family lived in the Ukraine, that was like, oh, the, the Ukraine is like the Midwest. Like, we have the Midwest. It's not a country. It's the Midwest. That's how people talked about the Ukraine, the Midwest, because it was all part of Russia. And now we've created a country there. Oh great. That went over good, like Mississippi or Texas. Texas is even better. They used to be their own country. Hey, there you go. It'd be like if Texas broke off again. They're thinking about it down there. I wonder what President Biden would do if Governor Abbott said, we're out. We got our own energy. We got a $2 trillion economy. We got a port in Houston. We don't need you guys. You guys are screwed up. Hey, we're out. We're going to go back to being the Lone Star State. I wonder what the United States government would do. Do you think they might attack? I do. I think they might attack. Because you know why I think that? We got a precedent. You know what that's called? The Civil War of 1861. The South said, we're out. We're done. We don't want to hang around with you folks anymore. You have um, dropped the ball. We're going our own direction. And you know what President Lincoln in the North said? <laughs> we didn't drop the ball permanently. We dropped it momentarily. We're about to stick this ball right up your know-what. And that's what happened. And 10% of the country died. Because, you know, when there's a civil war, when brother fights brother, oh, hey, you ever fought with a brother? I've got a really good friend of mine. Love this guy. He's got a brother. These two are both highly trained. One of them was a special operator. And, you know, when these two guys fight, it, it could be a movie. They, you know, it's, it's, I only hear about it on the telephone after, and it's scary. You know, brother versus brother. That's what we got going on over there. 
brother versus brother. And you know what? We, the United States, the globalists, the globalist West, decided to get involved in a domestic, brother versus brother. <laughs> Whoa, that's a tough call. You know when it comes across on the radio? It's a domestic call. That makes everybody a little bit concerned in the car because you never know what's going to happen when you go into someone's family, like on a holiday. It's supposed to be a beautiful holiday. Everyone's supposed to get together. It's supposed to be warm and fuzzy and, and beautiful. But see, those holidays frequently end up in gunfire. So it's a domestic. I know I digress. Escalation by drone. I'm digressing because it's so friggin' serious. Uh, and, you know, we're just all going about it, you know, barbecuing today. In the meanwhile, they're preparing to barbecue me. And I can feel that coming, and it makes me depressed. You know, depression is kind of a, it's kind of a proxy for anger. And I'm trying not to let my anger out. You know, I'm, I'm trapped in this emotional box I'm in. I got depression on one side, and I got going really, you know, angry on the other side. And I'm stuck in the middle with you. Please forgive me. Um, escalation by drone. These, these, these Ukrainians, what are we going to do with them, okay? They're not satisfied just maintaining their own territory because they're working for, uh, you know, they're on somebody's payroll. And, you know, the people that are paying the money, they want the Russian Federation destroyed, and they're using these Ukrainians as a hammer to get the job done. So what are the Ukrainians doing? Well, first of all, the Ukraine's part of Russia. So let's just start there. Now, I know there's many people that are going to get mad at me for saying this. I know it's its own country. I'm not a Russian apologist. I'm a David Penn want to stay alive guy. I have to ask you, do you, would you, do you have any interest in staying alive? How about your kids? If you have kids, would you like to see them stay alive? Because the people that are, you know, running the, the pay here, the people with the cash that are paying these Ukrainians to, to fight the Russians, they don't give a shit, quite frankly. They have an agenda, and they don't seem to be looking around. Their head's not on a swivel. They're focused in one direction. And I know Ukraine is a country, and I'm not apologizing for the Russians. I'm not a Russian supporter. I'm anti-war, okay? They're in on this war. By definition, I'm against what they're doing. I'm anti-war. I don't see the benefit. see a lot of people getting killed. I know that benefits a handful of folks that are at the upstream of the weapons, money going uphill, the weapons, money going uphill, and guess what's coming downhill? People dying. Uh, I know it's its own country. But from the perspective of the Russians, it's not. From the perspective of the Russian leadership, that war is going on inside of Russia. But that's not good enough for the people that are running things. That's why I'm depressed today. They're not satisfied with just fighting a war in the Ukraine, like in the Midwest. Now, that's not good enough. They want to launch attacks into the interior of Russia so that there can be no doubt in anyone's mind that this war is aimed at destroying the Russian Federation. They don't want any doubt in the Russians' minds. They want them to know we're coming. And this is why I'm depressed. It's quite depressing because this is called the ladder of escalation. The war is expanding. And two drones have attacked a Russian city in a region next to the annexed Crimea Peninsula. 
It killed some folks. 20 people were wounded. I mean, you know, that would be like, a, oh, I don't know. The Mississippi people, they had, a, they had some drones and they attacked Kansas. They attacked Kansas City, okay? You think it might up the ante if some of our separatists in the Mississippi region launched drones and they bombed Kansas City and 20 people got injured, a few people got killed, burned a high school, you know, that kind of stuff. Tanner, can you please play this? Uh, let's just go through this Ukraine news thing here. Just don't take my word for it. The precarious road to safety. Ukrainian soldiers captured by the Russians fighting in Bakhmut now exchanged in a prisoner swap. 106 on the Ukrainian side, not all standing. Those who are, are the lucky ones. The nine-month battle for the city in eastern Ukraine came to be known as the meat grinder. Russia has been claiming complete control of Bakhmut for five days now. Masters of a ruin. 70,000 people once lived in the city. Ukraine insists it still has a presence. But the victory lap came from Yevgeny Prigozhin, whose mercenary militiamen did much of Russia's Bakhmut fighting. Now, he says, they'll hand over to the Russian army. Before June 1st, most units will be relocated to the rear camps, he's saying. We're transferring positions, ammunition, everything to the military. Prigozhin says he lost 20,000 men in the battle, 10,000 of them convicts recruited from Russia's prisons. Ukraine and the U.S. have said the number is much higher. Kyiv won't comment on its casualty numbers. Analysts say there's little strategic gain for either side in controlling Bakhmut. But the bloodier the battle, the deeper its symbolic value has embedded itself in the conflict. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky visited troops along other parts of the Eastern Front on Tuesday. Our wish for you all is victory, he said. We understand it will not be a sweet one because so many of our warriors, our people, have died. And more, no doubt, still to come, with Ukraine's long-promised spring pushback still on the horizon. Margaret Evans, CBC News, London. Hard to even talk after that. When you take a look at that city, it was home to 70,000 people. It's destroyed. Prigozhin, my favorite uh, movie character, he's in there prominently. And then Zelensky, he can't even, he can't even keep it down anymore because there's so many Ukrainians dying. He knows. I mean, you know, it's like me being depressed today. I'm going to try to be upbeat and comedic, but then I'm not. <clears throat> see, I'm not in a war zone, okay? I'm not in a war zone today, so I can, you know, maybe have a little levity. This guy's living in a meat grinder. They call it the, the, you know, Bakhmut was the, you know, it's a meat grinder. Come on. This is a nice one. On these Ukrainian drones, let's let them take some props on this since they're using them to attack, you know, inside of Mother Russia, just so there's no doubt what's going on. Please. We are on the training ground with Ukrainian soldiers learning to use the Punisher a 100% locally made attack drone created in 2016. Stop for a second. You hear that 100% locally made? 
Yeah, they snapped the model together there. They're trying to say that this attack inside of Russia thing is 100% Ukrainian. If it was, nobody would say anything about it. This is advertising. This is not for the Russians. This is not to set the record straight. This is to brainwash me. This is a little brainwash activity where they're just saying, oh, it's 100%. Everybody likes 100%. Like 100% on your test, got a straight A, it's 100%. Go ahead, 100%. Give it to us, Tanner. It was swiftly redesigned after the Russian aggression of February 2022. Here, there is no need to wait for Western arms deliveries. Ukraine is going on the offensive. It's the Stop again, drone. please. Did you hear that? It's got nothing to do with the Western arms. It's just, they're just out there doing this on their own. Wow. You know, this is brainwashing. This is the security state letting loose some information. You know, if they were there on their own, Russian planes would be turning them into hamburger right now. They're not there on their own. The entire targeting, the command, the control, nothing is happening without the consent of we the people. This is why I'm depressed. Please continue. Flying at 400 meters, it's impossible to tell that it's there. And even on a windless night, it's very, very difficult to spot it. It is also the fastest drone in Ukraine, as it flies at a speed of 55 meters per second, almost 200 kilometers per hour. The Punisher is currently the fastest drone used on the Ukrainian front line. Its speed, combined with the distance it can cover and its stealth, make it an instrument of choice for the army, especially for targeted strikes. It is able to carry an explosive charge of up to 2.5 kilos and to return to its base without being spotted. In other words, it can reach targets in occupied territories while minimizing the lethal risk for Ukrainian troops. We have developed a safe communication system. Oh, stop it. I got to just comment. Of course, you know, we got a car accident here. There's lots of different street corners. So from the Ukrainian perspective, the globalist perspective, they can send this drone into occupied territories. From the Russian perspective, it's all Russia. We got a really big spread here between the bid and the ask. Please continue. The goal is to protect not just the device, but also our operators. We are also developing several mechanisms that make it possible to work in stealth mode, so when it's necessary, the drone can remain undetectable. In the battle for the skies currently being played out in Ukraine, drones perform an essential role that Kyiv wants to develop. For now, a hundred punishers are already deployed along the front line, at a time when Ukraine is still waiting for the green light from the West for the delivery of combat jets. Whoa, just think about what they can do with the jets, if they can do all that carnage with these little drones. Oh, I mean, you know, this thing must have been on the payroll of some security agency because the whole thing was propaganda. Anyhow, that's when, when I hear news, I'm, I've got a, you know, it's all, there's always an agenda. Whose agenda? But here's re really, I'm going to play now why I'm depressed. Maybe this will be the break point where levity will return to my presentation and the spring in my step. Because when I thought about this morning's podcast and I thought I had to play this next piece, I got dark. It's dark. Please play this. This is, this is, I'm going to go to work on this guy, hammer and tong. Nice to meet you. How about you, sir? Yeah, Leslie Graham, Senator, South Carolina.
Thank you very much. Thanks, United States people of, of the United States for all big support. President Biden, bipartisan yes. support, Congress, and really, we thank you so much. Free or die. Free or die. Now you are free. Yes. And we will be. And the Russians are dying. So the best money we've ever spent. Thank you so much. No, it's, you know, we're on four, let's see, this is, it makes all life possible. Yeah. Yes. More than a thousand or so. Of, uh, and it was a result is how to fight against, how to defend our people. Of our better selves in America. That there was a time in America that we were. <laughs> so you're very well. Can you stop it? You know, even the lettering on his shirt is disturbing. The kind of uh, art, the ad art there. Just disturbing. Please continue. Here's Leslie Graham for our listeners. Standing by a limo. Got flowers in a in a tank cannon. That's a funny image. Leslie's about to address the crowd. The industrial level war crimes that have been committed against the Ukrainian people. Stop. Industrial level war crimes. Now, you know, I've used this term quite a bit, industrial war crimes, industrialized war crimes. That would be the Nazis, uh, you know, uh, with their industrial plan to liquidate their undesirable populations in Europe, you know, their eugenics wet dream. They lived it out. And now here's Graham, Senator Graham, one of our wise men, comparing the war in the Ukraine to the industrialized liquidation of undesirable populations in Europe. Not an accident. Playing on our archetypes. Very manipulative. No, it, play it back and let's listen again because it's not true. Please. Just this, go back 10 seconds and then we'll just, there you go. Let's listen to him again and just realize he's fronting here. The industrial level war crimes that have been committed against the Ukrainian people, if they are forgiven in the name of peace, you will have destroyed everything we've stood for since the end of World War II. There can be no forgiving and forgetting Stop. when it that was about as honest a statement as a man could make. He said, if the Russian crimes are forgiven, you know, forgive me, Lord, please. I'm going to forgive other people because that's kind of the Judeo-Christian bedrock, you know, forgiveness. What he's saying is, if there's any forgiving, it undermines and it, it, it reverses everything that's happened since World War II, in the post-World War II Democrat liberal order. That's very honest. What he's saying is, if there's anything Judeo-Christian or Christian that happens to end this war, it's going to reverse humanism. Thank you for being so friggin' honest, Senator Graham. Now do you know why I'm depressed? Go ahead, please. It comes to Putin's war crimes. There can be no backing off of helping Ukraine, because if we fail here, there goes Taiwan. 
question on uh, future uh, Ukraine membership and specifically on Stop the again. Okay, let's just generalize. Let's you know, let's fortune tell. You know, he's in a position actually to fortune tell cuz this guy's making the future. Okay? So what he's telling you is if we don't go all in on this Ukraine thing, we're going to there's Taiwan's coming next. Okay. These these guys got this thing linked together. You know, I've never linked the Ukraine to Taiwan in my own thinking. I know they're related. I'm not dumb. But I've always thought, why couldn't we just solve this Ukraine thing first? First. And then move on to Taiwan. That's just another street corner in the drama that we're living through here. Please continue. If you're running for president as a Republican or Democrat, I don't know how you can make the argument that we're stronger against China if we pull the plug on Ukraine. That makes zero sense. What I want the Chinese to see is that invading a neighbor is not as easy as it looks. Putin has an arrest warrant from the International Criminal Court. I'd like to do more to help prosecute Russian war crimes. The best way to protect Taiwan and world order is for Putin to lose. And if you don't get that, I think you're missing a lot. Given that Stop. Hear that? There's the world order, the new world order. The best way to protect it is for Putin to lose. These guys are playing a game that has nothing to do with my freedom, okay? And he made a statement there that's just chilling. Can't make a case to pull the plug on the Ukraine if you're running for president, Democrat or Republican. Sounds rather uniparty in his uh, proclamations. Please continue. The F-16 will matter. It is not a magic weapon. But combined with other weapons, it will be decisive. So my message to the Biden administration is I appreciate what you have Stop. done. Stop. Okay, did you all hear that? Do you think we might have some magic weapons now that are decisive? Did that uplift? I, as an American citizen, I'm so uplifted. We're not giving the Ukrainians our best A game. We probably have some magic weapons that would be decisive. Secret stuff that I've bought and paid for that make me powerful and safe. Do you feel safe? Do those magic weapons make you feel safe? We could just talk. I'm wondering. Should we feel safe that there's magic weapons? Magic weapons. Wow, magic. Could you please continue? You need to do more. And I am convinced that there will be bipartisan support to provide more weapons. Stop again. I just want to remind you, this guy's Republican, okay? He's congratulating and thanking President Biden, a Democrat, you know, for what he's done and asking him to do more. He's not done enough. It's been quite a bit. It's not enough. Now, this is hilarious, right? How could you give the Ukrainians any more unless we were going to send our own military in there to fight? We would have to commit our own troops. That would be the next step, right? How much more can we get in there? You know, I don't see a lot of political difference. And I, this makes me cry inside and laugh at the same time. Governor George Wallace, there ain't but a dime's worth of difference between these two parties. Wow. Please continue. That can turn the tide of battle in the upcoming counteroffensive. 
But I expect in the coming days and weeks for the Ukrainian counter... Okay, I had enough of this guy. I can't take anymore. I just can't take it. I'm going to go to work on him. I've been following this man's career for a long time. And um, I wouldn't say I know him as a friend. But I know him pretty well. And I'm going to know him as if he's my friend going forward. Because this is a very interesting figure in American political history, Senator Leslie Graham. It's very interesting. He gets on every side of every issue, and that's a skill. I mean, to be able to get on both sides of every issue, that is a skill, high level of skill, you know? And he pulls this thing off. There's something about his personality. He keeps getting reelected. I mean, talk about a poster child for a politician to hate. You know, we, the American people, are going to have to start identifying some of these clowns and calling them out. I'm sure he's a very nice man, and I'm sure he's very intelligent, and he's earning a living, and he's doing politics the best way that he can from his street corner. I just don't agree with it. It's not personal. It, there's not a single bit of personal in this, and that's how we have to be in this movement. It's not personal. These people are just wrong. That's it. They're just wrong, and they don't know they're wrong, and the way we let them know that they're wrong is we vote them out of office by getting involved in the game of politics. I'm going to spend a lot of time on Leslie Graham, okay? Th this guy this guy knows that President Trump is not a supporter of the Ukraine war. Or let's let, at least let's hope that if President Trump was to get the Republican nomination, there would be a distinction between him and the Democrat that was running, right? And, you know, this is also an interesting thing. And I said this to my Democrat friend, and I said this in a re very recent podcast. You know, what happened to all the 1960s anti-war Democrats? Did they just all die and go to heaven? Maybe they did so much drugs they all died early. I don't know. Where did they all go? They got to be like, I don't know, between, I don't know, 67 and 80 years old, 85. There's a 20-year swath of these people in here, an entire cohort of folks that were anti-Vietnam War. If you're out there listening to me, was it just because you were afraid to get killed? It really had nothing to do about war. It was just personal. If that's the truth, that would, this would make perfect sense because you don't have an opinion, okay? It really wasn't a principled opinion of anti-war. You just, I'm not even going to say it, okay? It's just obvious. You either have a principle about the war, like the Quakers, okay? Or you're just, it's just self-opportune. Self-opportune. You know, things run through my mind like Royce White saying, I spit on the floor about you. Please don't be this way. You know, you're never too old to grow a set of principles. It's never too late. You just have to say that from this day forward, I'm going to live up to the words that came out of my mouth, which my entire generation was anti-war. Where'd you all go? I'm still here. I didn't move. I'm still anti-war. Where did you all go? How can we do this? Where are all the anti-war protests? You know, when it was a Republican war, it wasn't that long ago. I live in the Twin Cities. I used to drive by McAllister College frequently to go see my mother and father. My father was still alive in those days. I went by frequently. 
and there was always protesters. There was always protesters on that campus screaming that George Bush was a war criminal. My goodness gracious. Every time I drove, where are the pro? Do we have to get American troops into the Ukraine before anybody's going to protest? Or there's just going to be no protest because this is the Democrat liberal order being maintained, and we're all good about that now. Is that what happened? Because it seems like the party changed. I think I'm on a rant. I don't even know if I'm making sense because it's so goofy. That entire generation of 20 years of people that were in the streets anti-war are home doing what? Drinking wine and watching it on CNN? Don't give a shit? What happened? Maybe you guys have taken so much Crestor you can't get up anymore. We got to get into the streets and fight this. You have grandchildren, some of you. Do you want to watch your grandchildren die? Is that going to turn you on? Is that who you are? I don't think so. I don't think, no, I know that's not true. You just have to have it put in your face. Turn CNN off and get out in the streets and remember, get out those pictures, you know, that you got in your album. Take your album out. Page back to 1968. Take a look at yourself. Remember? I know why you did this, okay? We're going to cover this right now. I call this the four martyrs. We're going to go to the four martyrs. We're going to go out of sequence here. Because it occurs to me why an entire generation of people said, I'm out. And that'd be the four martyrs. A martyr is someone who dies for a cause. Often religious, but a cause is good enough. Like, oh, I don't know, the, Dec the Declaration of Independence. Those people that died when they declared the independence of this country and gave their lives for freedom, or whatever it was. Maybe they just wanted to get a better deal on the taxes. I don't know what motivated each one that died, but they died. Where did this generation go? It's the four martyrs, four people that died right in this time period of this anti-war. Why was it anti-war? Because people had a very clear memory of World War II. They know where this goes with modern weaponry. It goes to carnage. So people didn't want to go walking on down that road. But we had the four martyrs. Who were they? John Kennedy. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and Robert Kennedy. And that's in the order in which they were cut down. And they were cut down before a generation that was really committed to anti-war and was an active generation. It was an in-the-streets generation. And everybody said after this little scene, these four scenes were going to play. This is how you get a dog to sit down by its dog bowl and take its dog food. Okay, I get it, because I'm part of that generation. This is imprinted in all, and you know what? We're going to have to overcome this. We need to heal from this. This is an intentional wound that was put upon millions of people 
to calm them down. This was before the era of drugs, legalized drugs, and legalized dopamine that is delivered through phones. The, the, the general, uh, the skill, the technology to generally just calm everybody the fuck down didn't exist. It took um, more repressive means. Now, those repressive means still exist today, and that we'll meet that when we actually realize what we're dealing with. Let's remember why we gave up. Let's play these one after another, please, the four martyrs. A dark page in the annals of America has been written to the crack of an assassin's bullet. A nation mourns, the world grieves. The man who became 35th president less than three years ago is dead. He led his country boldly through the treacherous shoals of Cold War, treacherous shoals of Cold War crises. His firm commitments to support the cause of democracy throughout the world won him a claim almost unprecedented in the history of the presidency. He faced up to communist threats with such firm shows of force that Khrushchev backed down in Cuba, softened the hard red line on Berlin. He brought to the White House the vigor of youth and a family that captivated the hearts of all. No possible shadow loomed over this last group picture of his family, John and Jacqueline, John John and Caroline. Death has closed the cover in album portraits like this. His rendezvous with grim destiny begins a little after noontime as his plane lands in Dallas. Earlier, he had received a tumultuous reception in Fort Worth. And now, more thousands are waiting to greet him in downtown Dallas. But death is less than one short hour away. At 1.25, the motorcade moves into the downtown area. Death is six minutes away. In a warehouse, a sniper with a rifle poised waits. The cheers of the crowd almost muffle the three shots. The assassin's aim is deadly. The area is a swarm with police, rangers, and secret service men. The murderer slips the net, but a few blocks away, a man is captured after he is reported to have killed a policeman. That man is a 24-year-old pro-Castro Texan who once sought Soviet citizenship. He is charged with murder. Meanwhile, the president had been rushed to a nearby hospital where life lingered as a waiting world prayed. A half hour later, he was dead, his life crushed like his wife's abandoned bouquet. A shocked nation weeps. Across the country, around the world, films of people crying. This is what I wanted to show. Then a great outpouring of grief, shock, and revulsion. A proud banner is lowered. The empty White House is a symbol of this infamous mockery of American ideals of peace and freedom. Peoples of all faiths unite in prayer for the first Catholic to become president. The United Nations General Assembly joins in a minute of silent tribute, tribute to the man who fought so hard and valiantly for the ideals of this international body. The Iron Curtain was dissolved in the sincerity of their sorrow. That's good. 
the wound was real. People were really hurt. And uh, let's follow it up with the next next martyr, Malcolm X, who was uh, assassinated on February 21st, 1965. Apparently, two men approached the speaker's rostrum and uh, discharged shots at him from apparently very close range. As I turned around quickly, and the next thing I saw was Malcolm falling back in a dead faint. My mother threw herself over her babies, and she yelled out, they're killing my husband. I heard shots, and I saw people crawling on the floor. I saw, and so I got down too. Then when I was looking out, and I saw um, someone look in amazement to the front. I knew they had shot my husband. He sustained one shot in the lower right chin, and the other six hit him in the chest and uh, body. I looked out at him, and I said, he's going to die. I kept saying to myself, he's going to die, he's going to die. How many of immediately? No, he wasn't uh, dead immediately, uh, but uh, expired uh, very shortly thereafter. How painful is that? You don't get that kind of honesty anymore out of the news. That was the story of Malcolm X dying, and he lived for a while after he died, and we all got that shock to the system. Well, life and death a little bit closer together in those days. Martin Luther King, April 4th, 1968. April 4th. Martin Luther King, 20 minutes ago, died. <laughs> This is how America learned about the assassination of Dr. King. I would like to take this opportunity to ask Reverend John Genzel, who is the jazz minister, to lead all of us in prayer for Martin Luther King and the future of all civil rights movements. Would you please rise? If you're listening, people are just stunned. Very sad news for all of you, and I think uh, sad news for all of our fellow citizens and people who love peace all over the world. And that is that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight in Memphis. America is shocked and saddened by the brutal slaying tonight of Dr. Martin Luther King. I ask every citizen to reject the blind violence that has struck Dr. King who lived by nonviolence. I pray that his family can find comfort in the memory of all he tried to do for the land. Oh, just stop it. That just pissed me off. You know, we'll get, we'll get to the last martyr, which is uh, Bobby Kennedy. But if you listen to what, uh, you know, Lyndon, Lyndon is uh, great at invoking the energy of God in the most unholy emissions. That's a sin, what he just did. I couldn't let it go. He's so good at it, too. This guy was smooth. Smooth. There, there was nothing religious about Lyndon Johnson. He just knew how to use religion. Dangerous dude. He was trying to say, let's all, he was speaking to American citizens. No, he wasn't. He was talking to a small subgroup of American citizens that were about to burn their house down over that killing. And he was trying to invoke a certain kind of uh, reverential, um, 
own related to Martin Luther King to control the actions of citizens that were about to riot. And, you know, just let's just talk plainly, okay? Tell the truth. Tell the truth. It probably will make people willing to listen. It's when you lie that they have to go burn shit up. Ugh. See, I'm, 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 I'm not that funny today. You look at this stuff with me and you see, if you really can see, you see what a BS story we're living in and how much work we have to do just to tell the truth. Just start telling the truth. That's what I'm trying to do with you. Do it with everybody you talk to. I mean, we have to spread this in every conversation. We're on the edge. If you want to live, tell the truth. Okay, so let's let Lyndon go. He's another guy. I should work on him and Leslie Graham. They're cut from the same cloth. Let's get to uh, this last martyr whose son is running for president right now, RFK. He died just at just two months after announcing the death of Martin Luther King. He was slain by an assassin's bullet on the 6th of June, 1968. A reporter for the Mutual Broadcasting System, Andy West, was in the hallway, the kitchen hallway in the Ambassador Hotel last night when Senator Kennedy was shot. He is perhaps the man who was closest to the senator when the shots were fired. Let's go back now to that hour last night. First, Senator Kennedy in victory, and then the voice of reporter West as our cameras show the panic that gripped the scene. So I thank, I thank all of you who made this possible this evening, all of the effort that you made and all of the people whose names I haven't mentioned, but who made all, did all of the work at the precinct level, who got out the vote, who did all of the efforts, uh, brought forth all of the efforts that's required. Stop I was it, please. Okay, so I just want to stop. Precinctstrategy.com. Okay, now you know why the Democrat has been able to pass and institute policies that shackle the American citizens to dependency and unwellness because they did it at the precinct level, okay? So if we're going to free Americans from policy that shackled them to dependency and unwellness, if we really believe in that, we're going to have to do it at the precinct level, neighborhood by neighborhood. We're not going to continue this because we know what happens. He gets shot. Tanner, that's good. You take that down. He gets shot. I lived through the killings of the four greatest leaders of my life, in my life. Because, of course, once you're turned into a martyr, you take on a disproportionate weight in the minds of those that watched you die, watched you be martyred. And it just made a generation go to sleep. These four people, what did they have in common? And we got two leaders of of, of um, the black the you know black civil rights movement, black liberation movement. Um, they're different. They worked a different way of expressing it. And we had two brothers, the Kennedy brothers. What do these four people have in common? These people identified, you know, because World War II had just been ended in '45, so. After a world war, there's no status quo. It has to be rebuilt. And it was rebuilt upon a globalist idea. And already, by the early 60s, the Kennedy brothers and 
the uh, civil rights movement, as exemplified by its leaders, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, they were already saying the status quo is not right. And it wasn't even that entrenched like it is now. And they were screaming, this is not right. And these were change agents. All four of them were change agents. They were bringing forth a new sentiment, uh, and they were all cut down. And all the people that were with them, of every race, color, and creed, we were all cut down together, weren't we? And how do we know that? Because nobody's out in the streets protesting. Everybody got a job, a car, a family, and went to chase the cash in that generation. They were made material because they recognized right in front of their face that if you had a spiritual message, you were going to get a very unhappy material end, a bullet to your noggin. So everybody kind of, you know, took the money. They were offered a payoff. The whole generation was offered a payoff. Took the payoff. Our generation's got to get up and get involved and shoulder the responsibility that our neglect has given birth to, okay? That would be the boomers. We have to get up and lead this charge. Please do it. Unless you want to see your grandchildren killed. If you want to see that, hey, you're in the right place. Dark today, aren't I? (laughs) I have to laugh at my own darkness. These people were against the status quo, okay? These four martyrs. They were slain because they were fighting the status quo. I'm going to give you three pills. They're progressively red pills, and you're going to realize the status quo is a lot bigger than what we give it credit for. Please, let's start out with the Watts riots of 1965. It was the most widespread, most destructive racial violence in American history. White people driving through the riot area were considered fair game, whether young or old, men or women. Their cars were battered, the drivers stoned, kicked and beaten, and the cars were burned. The mobs might groan and curse in disappointment when a white got away, and then cheer like a football crowd when a car went up in flames. The burning and looting, the shooting and beating went on for nearly a week. It began as many race riots have begun with the arrest of a Negro by white officers, right here at this corner. In this case, two young Negroes were stopped by California highway patrolmen and charged with drunk driving. There was a scuffle and a crowd gathered. The mother of the two, their brothers, joined in, and she and another woman the crowd thought was pregnant were pushed and shoved. Over and over, Negroes repeat the charge of police brutality. One who had pressed a number of brutality complaints and one of the most successful attorneys in Los Angeles is a Negro, Leo Branton. We asked him about the police claim that brutality charges are fully and fairly investigated. Well, in theory, there are avenues of complaint open. But there are no meaningful avenues uh, Uh, to redress the grievances of these people. I've tried them all, and I can say to you that there is no question but that under the present machinery as it exists and as it is being operated today, a complaint of police brutality by any Negro citizen goes almost completely unheeded. 
The first thorough study of Negroes and how they live in this country was completed only a few months ago. Our government, which conducts detailed surveys of everything from sugar beets in Colorado to social habits in Cambodia, had never before taken a close look at the 21 million Negroes of America. Daniel Moynihan, until this summer, Assistant Secretary of Labor, was in charge of the study and was staggered by it. Moynihan says the Negro family structure is collapsing, and we asked him the reasons. We have had 35 years of disastrous unemployment and uh, for the Negro male. He has never gotten over the Depression. He had four fair years, fair to middling years in the Second World War, and maybe a good year in the Korean War, and that's it. Although he denied to the police any part in the looting and rioting, he took me on a tour of some of the places he said he helped to burn, as casual as a stroll in the park. I threw the firebomb right in the front window, right in the front window. A friend of mine went in the store towards the back and threw a firebomb in the back, and the place went up in flames. But it was pretty well uh, emptied by the looters and so forth. There isn't much left, is there? There is. Here's a burned-up shirt and so forth that could have been gotten, could have been used. But most um, things were taken out before you burned. As much as we could possibly get, then we would decide to burn, and the cry in the streets was, burn, baby, burn. So Why would you burn out this kind of place? We decided to burn this store because we felt that this man hadn't been doing nothing but gaming on us anyway. So serious and explosive is the situation, says the commission, that unless it is checked, the August riots may be only a curtain raiser to what could blow up one day in the future. Well, let's go back just a few years later, the Rodney King riots. Back to L.A., 1991. What brought things to a head was the home video of the officers using batons against the black man on the ground, Rodney Glenn King. Everybody just assumed they were going to be found guilty. Not guilty of the crime of assault. Within hours of the officers' acquittal, flashpoints of violence began erupting on L.A.'s south side. The Rodney King situation was just a straw that broke the camel's back. You've been in the music Documentary filmmaker Matthew McDaniel and hip-hop star Yo-Yo Whitaker were hardly alone then and now in seeing the eruption of anger and rage 20 years ago. It had been 27 years since a comparable breakdown of social order in Watts, 1965. We met with Earl Ofari Hutchinson, founder of the Urban Policy Roundtable, on King Boulevard at the site of one of the markets that burned down 20 years ago and remains vacant to this day. We asked Hutchinson to focus on the problems festering in South L.A. in the 70s and 80s. You had major industry, long gone. The second thing is you had high unemployment, poverty, just off the charts. The third thing that you had that uh, many people forget, the crack epidemic. Gang banging was out of control at the time. L.A. police moved to suppress crime with escalating efforts many in the community felt were repressive. When the cops saw me, I get the same treatment. So I'm angry. And there was the community distrust of outspoken police chief Daryl Gates. Adding to the tension, demographic shakeup, Latino immigrants moving into South L.A., Asian immigrants, often from Korea, becoming the keepers of neighborhood markets. Some people, there's anger. Frank Hu had a Crenshaw Boulevard convenience store that burned down 20 years ago. 
He remembers having good relationships with most of his customers, but many in the community were resentful. There was a sense that Koreans came in, took the money, disrespected you, didn't hire you. Then, two weeks after the Rodney King video ignited controversy, another video captured Korean-born shopkeeper Soon Ja-do scuffling with 15-year-old Latasha Harlins before shooting her to death. Self-defense Du testified. The jury convicted her of manslaughter. Du's judge released her on probation. It just shows, once again, the system doesn't give a darn about you. Los Angeles looked next to the trial of the four officers accused of excessive force against Rodney King. Not a single African-American sat on the Simi Valley jury. We have some video here. We got you. And, you know, so when that didn't happen, we felt like that was a license for the police to continue doing what they were doing and getting away with it. Barely two hours after the verdicts were announced, the first That's report... Good. And we're going to go back to L.A. for the George Floyd riots. A crowd in Hollywood defies the curfew and faces the consequences. But one protester didn't get away fast enough. There we go. That individual there just went down. This film crew witnessed what seems to be the impact of a rubber bullet. Arresting those who won't obey curfew isn't a new tactic for law enforcement in the aftermath of George Floyd's death. But what's significant here in Los Angeles is how early the stay-at-home order began. The harshest curfew the city has seen since race riots almost three decades ago. And that's because of scenes like this. For days now, vandalism and looting have been a distraction from the message at the heart of these protests a demand for equality and an end to targeted police brutality. The president desperately wants to restore law and order, forceful rhetoric at a time when Americans are looking for leadership. It's about time somebody took charge and did what they're supposed to do instead of what they've done in the past. This guy, I don't care what anybody else says, he's doing a fantastic job, whether you like him or not, it's immaterial. He just wants rule of the land. This is not a sovereign here. This is a president. This is democracy. This is not, we don't have a king. And if we did, his head would be on the chopping block. And everyone's just really mad that black people are being treated so badly by the law enforcement. And this keeps happening over and over again. So this is why people are rioting. And yes, we do need law and order, but we need a different kind of law and order, I think. Many in the U.S. are getting used to seeing oh, the military. Oh, that's good enough. I can't take it. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. So what is this? 55 years? This is the status quo. The four martyrs got cut down. They wanted to arrest this process before it got entrenched. A certain group of people just said, whoa, I'm out. Spiritual things? That'll get you killed. They went completely radical materialist and then had two generations of radical materialists after them. They bit the apple. They were all in on it. They loved it. My generation. You know, the Who, the Stones, Led Zeppelin, those people, radicals. Oh, radicals they were. Could we please end the way we started? Have a good, had a good start. Let's have a good ending. This is ridiculous. This is the status quo. Do you know why it's this way? We like it this way. That's why it's this way. 
Come on. 55 years? We can't make any progress in 55 years, okay? Let's quit lying to ourselves. Quit lying. Tell the truth. We want it this way. That's why it is this way. Because the minute we don't want it this way, it'll be over. Snap. It'll be done. We're past this. We're being manipulated. We're being manipulated. Let's quit this. Ah. There's four things we've got to look at here. These are the four groups. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Four groups, four ideas. This is the only thing that matters. This is the news that matters, and we need to stay focused on it because it's everywhere, because it's a new religion. You know, it's a, it's a religion. goes from on high to down low. You know, as below, so above. It's going on right here in our neighborhoods. Globalism. We have to look out for globalism wherever we see it in our neighborhoods. Anything that's globalist is associated with conquest. Conquest. Globalism is about the conquest of the post-World War II Democrat liberal order, or humanism, the conquest of humanism, supplanting every other ideology on the planet. It's about conquest. It was uh, called the white horse. Conquest. It's been talked about before. We just see what it is now. It's no longer prophecy. It's right in our face. Globalism. Look for it. Look for it in your own backyard. What can you do in your own backyard to identify globalist policies that shackle the people to dependency and unwellness? The policy has got to be about well-being. Identify every policy and then ask yourself, all, I'm asking myself, all the people around me, does this policy in, in, enhance human well-being or detract from it? And really tell the truth about it. Figure it out. The white horse. Globalism. Conquest. Globalism. Conquest. The United Nations. That whole architecture of globalism. The World Health Organization. The World Trade Organization. The World Bank. The world this and the world that. We are the world. You know I'm not. I'm not the world. I don't want to be. I don't want my governance so far away from me that my voice is powerless. If we're going to have self-governance, we have to keep the governance close to the people. Close to the people. And globalism assumes empire. An empire and self-governance are in contrast and antagonism with each other. They're not going to be in the same universe. Number two, the things we need to pay attention to. The only news that matters, what our political activity is all about, what we're focused on, what we're focusing the people around us on if we want to live. Famine. Communism, communism, communism. 
every time communism comes, it comes with a famine. Historically, we know this. We know that communism, when it comes into a region or into a country, there's a famine. Now, I am not going to sit here and say that I know for a fact that they wanted to starve their people to death because I don't know it for a fact. They may have been incompetent operationalizing an ideology which makes people poor. I don't know. That's why I want truth commissions, okay? I want them to tell me this time. I don't want to hang them. I want them to tell the people, did you intend to cause a famine? Famine. Communism. There's an ism here, okay? There was an ism in the first one. Remember the white horse ism? Globalism. You know, there's an allegory here. I'm not here pounding the Bible. I'm saying there's an allegory, a poem. There's a truth here. Let's not run away from a truth because it scares us. Oh, I'm scared. Well, you know what? That's the point. And what happens when people get scared? They freeze. They flee. Or they fight. I'm going to tell you, in this, in this game, there's no place to run and freezing isn't going to protect you. We have to fight. And how do we fight? It's an information war. You, we need to know that we are living in a transition into communism. Right in the United States of America, our energy is being truncated. We're in a massive inflationary spiral. Okay, this is goofy. This is why I was depressed today. They just, they want to approve uh, what's it, $4 trillion? A humongous increase in the debt. I think it's $4 trillion, $2 trillion each year. I mean, come on. We're g- <laughs> Is this supposed to be, am I supposed to be, st- are you supposed to be stupid? I mean, you have to, we have to ask ourselves now. They must think we're stupid because they're treating us like we're stupid. And they think. If we're stupid and we put up with this, we deserve what we get. We've got to stop this. This is crazy. This is why I'm depressed today, because there's an alleged deal on increasing the the, def, the debt. The debt ceiling's going to get raised, and they're going to make us poor, okay? And when there's going to be poverty, there's going to be hunger and famine, communism. People will be screaming for communism because everyone's going to be poor. Isn't that strange how that works? Make everybody poor, and then every communism's looking good. Okay? Who's in charge of this? Who's in charge of this, really? This communism thing? That would be the central banks. Because the central bankers went to our elite humanist institutions where they were taught how to best organize the people and control them doesn't affect their lives after all. They're living in palaces. It's not about them. They're not going to live like communists. It's about you and me. We're going to be communists. Ha! Huh. Really? Now, this is funny, and it's making me laugh. <laughs> I never realized how funny this really is. Could you laugh with me about this? A small p- group of people are going to live like kings and queens, and we're all communists. And they're going to sell that to us as it's for our own good. And we're going to buy it. It's hilarious. I think we need to wake up. Okay, that's number two. 
That's the black horse, famine, communism, and what the central banks do, like destroy the currency by increasing the debt and then instituting a new digital currency, which is their plan. We're going to spend a lot of time on this. You know, in a way, I'm kind of advertising for them. That's the kind of control that they have. It's advertising. As long as you spell their name right, they're okay with it. You get where we're at? We're at to the red horse. That's where we're at. Oh, that's liberalism. Another ism, remember? Globalism, communism, liberalism. There are some isms here that are associated with some horse. The rider of the red horse is liberalism. If you were going to, like, paint a picture, it'd be the red horse. If I was a political cartoonist, I'd have the red horse looking bad, and then up there would be some kind of ghastly-looking figure, and it would say liberalism across the white sheet that was covering up its depravity. War. The post-World War II Democrat liberal order, I want you to think, we were talking about this last time, start adding up all the wars in this piece and all the deaths in these wars, and you're going to see it's not that peaceful. And why would that be? Well, that'd be because that's the business of this group of folks. That's their business model. Remember? Liberalism. Oh, there's another ism. Globalism, communism, liberalism. Oh, scientism. Scientism. That's the pale horse. That's death. Okay? We have this thing, this poem, has a has some kind of uh, political significance here. I have to tell you, it's one of the reasons I'm depressed is because if I can see and understand something that I can't understand, it must be because it pulled up in a, in a, in a black suburban outside. You know, when the black suburbans pull up outside, that's when you got a problem, right? When you can see, when I can share with you a description like this, and you're going to have to say, wow, Professor Penn's lost his mind. Or you're going to have to say, I'm scared. What am I going to do about it? You know, Professor Penn has either lost his mind or I'm scared. What am I going to do about it? It's a holiday. I feel very real today. I'm going to tell the truth. I don't understand all these holy scriptures. I just know that the allegory seems to have a very real um, kick-me-in-the-teeth kind of description. I am concerned about globalism. I am. Because it brings the governance so far away from me as an individual that I'm no longer self-governing. So anybody that's for globalism is not for self-governance. Come on. The federal government's too far away. Don't we agree? Our state government is getting too far away. Don't we agree? How do we get back into the game here? Get into the game. Work on your neighborhood. Do it the way Bobby Kennedy did it. Precinct by precinct. Precinct by precinct. Precinct by precinct. We need to proceed and tell the truth. You know what's going to sell out there in precinct by precinct? The truth. And other people have truth. And talking to them. And listening to what they have to say. Because if it's honest, it's worth keeping around. If it's dishonest, anything that's dishonest, if people actually show up and tell the truth, 
the dishonest will, it's going to kind of melt away. Like that scene with Leslie Graham. It's the best money we ever spent. Really? The best money we the people have ever spent is the couple hundred billion dollars we've we've contributed to the slaughter of a couple hundred thousand people. That's the best money we've ever spent. Huh? Really? And we have in our mind, we're being sold by this guy who's a globalist sine qua non. The globalist globalist, Lindsley Graham, never saw a war he didn't support. Go back, check him out. I'm going to, and I'm going to bring it to you. We're going to have limbs, we're going to have a parade of hits that Lindsey Graham was all in on. Because when it's a war, he's at the front of the pack. I don't know why that is. I just don't agree with him. It's not personal. And I'm appealing to all the anti-war people out there. Hey, we got to look at this. These people aren't kidding around. You know, they're not, they're no longer butchering some group of uh, brown people in some country we never heard of before. They're killing people close to the, to the fatherland now, right? Right on the doorstep. What are we going to do about this? Globalism is about conquest. It's about the conquest of the Democrat liberal order, a.k.a. humanism. It's a repackage. You know, the, that group of people, because they're ideology falls into disrepair and disrepute from time to time all the time. They can be communists. They can be Nazis. They can be liberals. They can be socialists. They can play any place in there. They don't care as long as they get that global governance that all of them were seeking. Remember communism? Workers of the world unite? How about Nazism? A mass murderer who was trying to conquer the entire Eurasian, Eurasian continent, okay? Nazism. Liberal order speaks for itself, doesn't it? I don't know what to say about this. This, this is really requires some, some serious pushback, this globalism thing. Communism, central banking, that's a central banking issue. We've got to pay attention to these digital currencies. We've got to fight this. This is something we have to do in the precincts. We've got to get the individual American citizens aware of what happens to them and find the ones that have some spiritual spark left. Because if they don't, they don't care. They're not going to care. We're going to have to find these people, and we're going to have to talk to them all over the country as we're doing but we formed enough of a network now that we actually can get out into the precincts and the precinct strategy is broader. It's really about talking to people, building a constituency of people that believe similar things for their survival, that they actually get it down to that place, that they realize conquest is about conquering them. making everybody poor. Communists is about taking their money away or precluding the chance that they're ever going to get any extra money. You know, there's a lot of people that they don't have anything. Some of them would like to build something for themselves. 
Maybe I'm goofy. Maybe that's changed. But if it's changed, then I want to be a spokesperson for being economically uh, self-governed. I've been self-employed my entire life. Now, that doesn't mean I, I, I've been able to avoid involvement with the general economy and that there is some reciprocity, and, and I get a lot of benefits from being in the American economy, or at least I did. But I, you know, I've, I've earned my own way. And that's just, you know, something to be proud of. Now, if I had a job and I was earning my own way and working for someone else, I think I'd have the same feeling about it. And there's something about the cultural feeling that has been diminished that we have to restore, you know, the dignity of work. It just has to be there. It's really critical. And when people are poor, when they have nothing, it's unwell. Let me just say this. There's a, an Asian concept of emptying factors, things that lead to death. Having nothing is one of them. Continuous concern is the second one. Having a disease is the third. Diseased. These three things in traditional uh, Asian uh, oriental medicine is believed. That's what kills you. Number one, having nothing. Well, that seems to be we're on that road. Continuous concern. We got a crisis every minute. So people either give up, which makes them not part of the game. They're not playing. Or if you're in the game, you have continuous concern. It's not good for us. So they're going to have give us nothing, keep us concerned, and 60% of American adults have a chronic disease. That's called getting killed, okay, in Asian philosophy. You know, like if you were going to an Asian doctor, let me say it one more time, it bears repeating. Having nothing, oh, that's very bad. Please, may I ask you, are you worried about things? Oh, I'm continually concerned. And the Asian doctor's writing this down going, this son of a bitch going to die. Do you have any chronic condition? Oh, yes, I do. This person's going to die. The emptying factors, the three emptying factors, we're living in that. And what a surprise. Slavery, drugs, and piracy. That red horse, war, that is associated with this post-World War II Democrat liberal order. We got to watch this thing in the Ukraine. We got to get on people like this Senator Leslie Graham. He's just a guy. He might be a great guy. I don't know. It's not personal. If you disagree, let's get organized. All we got to do is get organized and get into the streets, and these people will change in a heartbeat because they don't want to lose their job in show business, okay? Chameleons, we can change them just by showing up. That's all we got to do. Oh, and this last one is the toughest. The scientism around the medical tyranny. We got to watch this W. H.O. treaty that's coming at us. We're going to talk a lot about that. We're moving into a new stage of the uh, podcasts. What are we paying attention to? And part of this, of course, is me speaking to my uh, brothers and sisters in the Minnesota party, you know, where we're supposed to be planning uh, <laughs> the next event, the next fundraiser, or as a friend of mine says, is the squeeze really worth the juice? One of those. And the country's on fire. No, we're not going to sit around and we're not going to listen to, we don't do that. 
Because, see, this is where I get really angry. The political parties, both of them, take well-meaning, motivated people and employ them as worker bees and grind them into fine dust. Fine dust. Destroys them. Completely uninterested in them having any say in the political at all. And if they could, they would take away all their votes, which they absolutely intend to do, okay? The whole system of governance, self-governance, the way it is right now, is not about self-governance. It's anti-self-governance. We just have to change that by being self-governing. There are four issues that we need to clarify as parties. Both parties need to actually go through these and talk about the pluses and minuses. Because while I draw on the negatives of globalism, there are many important positives that have to come out of this. This is not an either-or thing. This is about the people losing sacred honor. It's not about the institutions. It's about the people in the institutions. It's about how we're generating these people, what we're demanding of these people, what we're demanding of ourselves. What are we demanding of ourselves? Really, if you want to get down to the first step, in the few minutes I have left with you, I just want to make an I statement. It's what I demand of myself. I can't ask you or anyone else to do something that I would not and am not doing myself. And the first thing I'm going to do myself is pursue my own well-being, my own self-governance, my own freedom from sin, my own submission to a spiritual world that I don't understand. I'm doing it myself, and I know it has benefits for me. I know it works for me. The question is, how do I take what I know and share it with other people that don't know it? It's not about sharing it with other people that know it. That, that's preaching to the choir. This, this is politics. I need your help in figuring out how to share this with people that don't know it. How do we spread this ideology? How do we increase the number of people that see a benefit in self-governance and freedom and well-being? How do we do that? Well, one of the things we're going to do right away is set up the Free People of America so that you can participate in it and I'm going to keep you updated on that because there's going to be a whole infrastructure that's going to come up, and then we're going to seek your ongoing updated participation in how we do these things and create a national organization state by state of people that believe that we have to be active on telling the truth. Now, there's a lot of things people can do in politics, okay? And I'm not here to denigrate any of that. If someone is motivated, for example, to be working on, in a specific area like child sex trafficking, and that's a passion, that fits into globalism. No doubt about it. Child sex trafficking uh, is part of you know, the migration, immigration model. It's easy to take advantage of young people in that kind of an environment. 
when the, and then you have a breakdown of the families, which you could say is uh, associated with what? Uh, communism, maybe? I mean, you could, you, we could sit here and relate it to the isms all we want to. The point is you've got something that fits into the framework that what we're interested at free people, what we're working on, which is the big issues. That's what we want to bring to people's attention. We want to make sure, I want to make sure that when we're out doing local political activity, which is important, that we understand how those local issues fit into a global framework so we protect ourselves from the big issues. Let us not get so concerned with the small issue that we don't know how it fits into what we're really facing, which is an attack of four horsemen, four well-armed ideologies, globalism, communism, liberalism, scientism. We're surrounded by this because they're all the political strategies of a new religion. They're all united in a new religion. And they're, they're interchangeable. You could snap liberalism out of there and plug in Nazism just like that, and it would work just fine for these people. Which is really terrifying if you think about it. If I was, uh, I am from that anti-war period. That's why I'm this way. I'm not going to die talking shit, okay? To my generation, get up and get out. We got to get up and get out. We're old enough to know. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. Get into these parties and start refreshing them. Save your grandkids. Let's. We should start a movement. Save the grandkids. That's a great one. I like it. It's a good... Save the grandkids. It's a hook. I wonder if the URL is available. Maybe one of you want to go get it and start selling T-shirts. Fund the movement. Let's get going and protect our children and our grandchildren. I know I was not very linear today. I'm depressed because my senator, and he's my senator, there's only 100 of them, told me that the $200 billion plus and all these people that died because of it, was the best money I've ever spent. I find that very depressing. And at the same time, the same group of cats are going to get $4 trillion more to spend any way they want to while we sit home and do nothing. They're going to kill us with that $4 trillion. They're going to wreck our currency, which is the plant, in my opinion. Just an opinion. How do you pay back $36 uh, trillion? How do you do that in a high interest rate environment? Why aren't, you know, why don't we just tell the truth, those of us that know business? It's okay when the interest rates are zero. Doesn't work so well. So it's pick inflation, right? Pick inflation, and then everything goes to zero, or pick payback. The thing is just, it's out of control. Out of control. I'm depressed. We're giving them $4 trillion more over two years to do whatever the hell they want to do with it. And it has nothing to do with me. In fact, it's really going to get focused on harming me and harming my well-being. And we're reading in the mainstream news it's a great deal. 
Well, I'm open to it. I'm going to listen to the news. If it's such a good deal, I want to hear about it. But what I'm hoping for is self-governance, well-being. Less spend, more mend. Like unity and community. Less spend and more mend. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Um, I'll try to be in a refreshed mood the next time you see me. I wish you well-being, and I hope you're enjoying your holiday time. And when you see this, uh, you'll look back on it and say, was it good or bad? Let's all reflect. I look forward to seeing you soon again, and thanks very much for joining.